Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for this day. And Lord, you hear our testimony, Lord, and we just give that as a, an offering, Lord, unto you. And Lord, we know that there are many here who uh, have a word of testimony of what you've done in their life, what you're doing in their life, Lord. And uh, we know that, God, because we're here now, Lord, and we, we are experienced your grace even now. And so, Lord, I pray as we uh, just get into your word for a little bit, Lord, that uh, you would get me out of the way, that you would speak, Lord, what you would have to say. And as we just think about your son, Jesus, Lord, and we uh, put him, Lord, first, just Jesus, I pray, God, that that would be uh, something that we're drawn to, Lord, that we're drawn to you. And God, that that'd be something that we choose, Lord, through your power. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, it is, uh, it's good, good being back. Strange being back um, from all the way from West Africa. Uh, I was in Senegal for six months, and then I was in Ghana for the remainder of my time there. And uh, the Lord was very good, and it was, you know, you, you never know what to expect when you're there, and and that doesn't change anytime after once you get there. You just never know what the day would bring, um, and uh, it was it was a real interesting experience. Nothing that I was quite you're just not ready for what you go through while you're there. And uh, there'll be a time that I uh, give more detail about all that trip and that time my time there. Um, Ghana, I know, sends greetings. Uh, the people in Accra, Ghana, send their greetings from Fountain of Life Church in the Nazarene there. And I know uh, the church in Baobab, Dakar, Senegal, send their greetings as well to you all. And uh, so, salam alaikum. And you say, alaikum salam, back to me. Okay? No? Okay. There you go. Nangadef. Nang- okay. Anywho, so, uh, they send their greetings. And, uh, it's uh it's good to good to be here. I'm excited for what the the Lord has uh has for us here uh with the youth and and what he's uh doing um in our hearts and I do I do believe that this time of just seeking after Jesus man what a, what a timely sermon right at the beginning of the year man this year let's just focus on Jesus what he's doing in our lives what he's calling us to do and make him our everything. And that's, a, that's a, not a year goal. That's a moment-by-moment-by-moment goal. And that's, that's what our heart is. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the scripture of Luke uh, chapter 8, verse uh, 26 through uh, 37. And uh, the Bible, man, I've, I, I was able to read the, the Bible this year. I got through the whole book. And, uh, man, it is, it is something else. This, this word is something else. You get into it, and you see some weird stories in the Bible, and you're like, why in the world is this in here? And it can be confusing, and it can be hard to understand. And so if you're reading this, and you understand it all, please talk to me, because I don't, okay? Uh, and this is one of those stories uh, where you get in here, and it's, it's kind of a bizarre story, and it's in the Gospel of Luke, and so I'm just going to read it now, and it's, a, it's hang on, here we go. So, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 26, starting at verse 26. They sailed to the region of uh, Gerasenes, uh, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, 
he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell on his feet, shouting at the top of his lungs, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained and chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And he, they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them to go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found a man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region and in the region asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with them, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return, go home, and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. What a story. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we give you this time, and we say, Lord, that we're open to your word and what you're wanting to say, God. And Lord, I pray that we would not be comfortable with the evil in our lives, Lord, and that we would be drawn to you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So in this story, we have uh, lots of different characters. You have the demon-possessed man. You have the demons themselves. You got the herdsmen. You got Jesus. And then you have all the characters down to the pigs, right? And there are, uh, there are a lot of things that are going on in this story. Lots of things are happening. And as we look at the story and we look at the characters, I think that we can begin to start relating to some of them in certain ways. And in the beginning of the story, we're introduced to this demon-possessed man. And this, this description of him is bizarre and creepy and kind of scary. The guy's not wearing clothes. He's, he's out of his mind, and he's so crazy that they've got to lock him up hand and foot, and they keep him on guard, and somehow this guy is so strong that he breaks free of these chains, and then he goes in solitary places, and you're like, what is up with this guy, right? And... Uh, we read verse uh, 28, and it says, uh, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture me. And it's interesting, of all the characters in this story, it's, it's the demon who recognizes Jesus for who he is. 
He says, do not torture me, son of the most high God. This demon knows who's boss. He understands that this demon no longer has authority now that Jesus has come. The authority has come, and now he has to go down low, and he's asking them, don't torture me. Will Jesus torture somebody? Like, bizarre, right? And uh, we see in this story, it's the demon-possessed man, who the demons actually, who recognize Jesus for who he is. And there's a difference between knowing somebody, knowing God, and then like, you know, knowing God. And we can know all sorts of facts about God. We can read our Bibles. You can know Sunday school answers. And we see in this passage that even that the demon declares who Jesus is. But do we have relationship? Right? The demons knew who we were, and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. But are we in relationship with Jesus? Do you know Him? Do you walk in obedience with God, in truth? With, are you in line with what God is saying? When you come to Jesus, are you just wanting to know just Jesus? And the verses go on, and it reads some from... Uh, passage 28 verse 28 when he saw jesus he cried out and fell at his feet shouting at the top of his voice what do you want with me jesus son of the most high god i beg you do not torture me for jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man many times it had seized him and he was though he was chained in hand and foot and kept under guard he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. So we're, we're learning a little bit more about the demons, but we're also beginning to learn about this man, that, that people knew about this man. And it says that he was driven where? That this man full of demons was driven not into a crowd, not into a big, large group of people, but into solitary places. And oftentimes when you look into the narratives of the Bible, when you look at the stories of Scripture, it is often that sin leads people into solitary places. For Adam and Eve, it was the garden um, where they were looking for a solitary place. Remember, they sinned, they clothed themselves, and in their shame, what did they go? They went and they hid. They went into a solitary place place. Uh, When Moses had murdered somebody, what did he do? He went into the solitary place. He went into the desert, right? Can't get much more solitary than that. He sinned against God. He murdered somebody, and his sin drove him into a solitary place. Jonah. Jonah did not want to do what God had called him to do. He knows what he's supposed to do, doesn't do it, aka sin, He's running away, and he's getting away from him. He's going not to Nineveh, but to Tarshish. And he goes under the boat, away from everybody. Where? A solitary place. And these demons are taking this man, and they're driving him into a solitary place. And why would it be that they're driving them into a solitary place? And I think this is one of Satan's greatest um, strategies to fight us. Because when we get into our sin, what do we feel? Well, first we might like it, right? But then there's a part of us where we feel convicted, we feel ashamed, we feel broken about what we have done. 
And the last thing that I want to go do after I do something, I know I'm not... This isn't a mistake, right? This is, I'm not talking about mistakes, because mistakes are like, ah, oh, I made a mistake. This is, I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyways, right? Or I knew what the right thing was to do, but I chose not to do it. And when we do that stuff, we feel terrible. And the first thing that we want to go do is tell somebody. No, that's the last thing we want to do. And so we, we, we don't tell anybody. But then there's something about it that, that makes us gratified, or it could be, you know, that we enjoy it. And so then we go into it some more. And before you know it, you start to not tell anybody. Now you have this secret sin, and you're in a solitary place. And that's exactly where Satan wants you. Because there, whose voice are you going to hear? You're just going to hear his over and over. And then you're not going to hear the voice of reason, because all you can think to yourself is, this is what I've done, this is what I've done, this is, I'm a terrible person. And you can't talk to anybody about it, right? And the Lord doesn't want us to be a part of that. Right? What does he call us into? He calls us into community. It says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was his original purpose, was for relationship. Uh, he called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And he calls us to be a church. He calls us into these small home, home groups. Home groups where we're talking to one another. Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Accountability partners. Sin and Satan want to drive us into these solitary places. And when we get into these places and you feel like you're all alone, no, that's not where God wants you. Right? He wants us to be in community with others. And so uh, sin not only separates us from God, but it can also separate us from others. And so we say, well, why do you think there's so much divorce in the world? Well, sin, right? When you're, when you're fighting with your other person, you don't want to be around them. You just kind of want to get away from them. And if you do that long enough, you've got two people living in solitary under one roof. Uh, we have wars. Well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Solitary, you know, within your community. Not going to talk to each other. You have these wars that go on. Uh, you think about people who are famous and they have everything that they want, but then they go into these solitary places and they only hear one voice and they end up committing suicide. And it's like, man, we have to get out of our solitary places because that's exactly where Satan wants us to be and get into community. Get in with somebody. Tell them what's going on. And if you know somebody who's in a solitary place, then probably they're not going to get out by themselves and you need to reach out to them, call them, text them. Hey, haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? We are called to one another because when I'm down, I need somebody to lift me back up. And I need the body of Christ to lift me back up because Satan is what? He's, he's wanting us, he's driving us, it says. The demons drove him into solitary places. And when a person is living in sin and there's no accountability to God, these solitary places look really good. And that's why we need to be with one another. Satan is the one who seeks for us to be in solitary places, not the Lord. And so we go on, and it reads in verse 30 through 37. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of uh, pigs were there, 
on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down into the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man who the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people in the region and in that area, asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. I cannot pronounce this place. You were talking about things that get confusing. Places get confusing to me. I can't say them. So, all this takes place. And when I heard this story, this part really stuck out to me. It says, I'll read it, I'll read it again. It says, when they came to Jesus, all the people are hearing what had happened. They came to Jesus. They found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. What was they before? Well, this was a man, it says, that had multiple, multiple, multiple demons in him. Uh, When I was uh, in Accra, I never saw anybody who was demon-possessed, I don't think. But there it is a lot more real. They talk about it all the time, about the different things that they see because they open themselves up to that uh, with their, their African traditional um, religions. And uh, I talked to some people who were into the witchcraft and to going to people, trying to get cured through that way. And I talked to some pastors and I said, have you ever had to deal with this? And they're like, oh yeah. And they told Two different pastors told me a story, and it sounded exactly the same. And it was bizarre, and it was strange. And they were telling me about what these guys would do when they had the demons in them. And I was like, I don't want to mess with these, these guys. I don't, I don't want to see it. And, and for them, it was, you know, that was just something that they, as the pastors, that's what they had to go through. And, and it sounded scary to me. I didn't want to deal with it. And it said that this guy had multiple, multiple demons in him. And that they would chain him up. So he's got multiple demons in him, chained up hand and foot, got chains on him. And they have to have somebody to sit there and guard him and watch him, make sure. And even when they had that, this guy, you know, comes out, the chains break, and he's off. He goes into the caves, and he's in the solitary place. Okay, freaky, right? That's scary. You got some guy rolling around on the caves and on the rock man and lots of demons. They know who he is. I imagine they're like, hey, there's crazy. Hey, while they're at the dinner table, there's demon-possessed guy. Look at him go, oh, he got loose again. We're going to have to ring him in, chain him up again, right? They know who he is. The town knows who this guy is. And it says that they heard something happened. And then what takes place? They come rushing in. Oh, did they catch him? Did they chain him up again? He's not chained. He's not naked. He's dressed. He's in his right mind. He's at Jesus' feet. And it says he's in his right mind. And then what happens? The people are afraid. What? They're not afraid of old demon-possessed man so much. They can get near him and they chain him up and they have somebody on guard, right? 
But when Jesus comes into the picture and the man is sitting there in his right mind, clothed, then they're like, well, this is a little creepy. <laughs> Better stay away. And what do they ask? They say, Jesus, can you, can you just keep on going? And they get more comfortable with the evil inside their world than they are with Jesus who comes and redeems it. He said, this is not what this world is about. You're not supposed to be possessed by these demons. Instead, he gives this man freedom. And when this man is free, the people are freaking out. But when he's possessed and with these demons and he's evil, oh, the people are used to it. In fact, they know how to manage him. Oh, well, you just got to go up there, catch him, put him in some chains, and we'll have somebody guard him. Sometimes he'll get out, but you can just go back there, you know, bring him back, sit down, chain him up, he'll be fine. Oh, but then Jesus comes, restores this man, and they're like, oh, this is a little creepy. <laughs> Jesus, can you, can you leave? And I want to judge these people, but then I think, you know what? I think I get pretty comfortable with the evil in our world, and I just start to manage it. I see stuff on TV, and I'm like, oh, you know, if you just do certain things, you know, then I can manage it. I'll just not listen to it. I'll skip that scene. I'll, I'll manage it. It'll be okay. Or I don't know what I'm doing. That's just one lie. I'm actually not even lying. I'm just listening to somebody tell me something about somebody who they know, who I also know, and the gossip. But I'm managing it because, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody that I know other than my family and my close friends because if I told somebody I didn't really know, then I know they would tell. But I know my close friends don't tell anybody except their family and their really close friends. And so that's not technically gossip, right? I know how to manage this. And Jesus comes in and redeems this man, and the people are freaking out. And I wonder sometimes, are we so comfortable with the, the social evil in our world with the personal evil in our world, that if Jesus was even to come close and change one thing in our life, that it would make us uncomfortable, and then we just say, hey, Jesus, like, we knew how to manage that, and now we gotta, we got to live with this guy. He's normal now. That's somebody else we got to take care of. We knew how to manage him before, and sometimes... It's easier to stick with the problems and the sin that we know than trying to live without it because at least we know what this is going to feel like. At least we know how to manage this. But man, if I don't have this, then I know I'm going to have to do A, B, and C trying to, trying to live this life without it. And I know that Jesus is going to take hold of something else. And so you know what i rather do? i rather just manage and God doesn't call us to management. He calls us and he offers us freedom. He hurls, he, 
he tells these demons to go into a herd of pigs. And they go and then they drown. What's that? I don't know what that's about. I can't tell you. But they do it. And we have these problems in our lives and we're like, I don't know if Jesus can do... He had a whole legion, many, who knows how many. And he told them, hey, scat. And they skit, right, into the pigs. Jesus has all power and authority. And as we were talking about today, there's victory in Jesus. But it kind of comes back down to Do I actually want this freedom? Or have I seen what Jesus does in other people? And I see what he does, and they're a bunch of weirdos. So I'd rather just kind of manage my own little life here. I know it's not always rainbows and stuff, but I know how to manage it. And it's mine. He doesn't call us to management. And then, this is beautiful. The man whom Jesus is freeze. Says the man from whom the demons had gone out and begged, he begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. One thing that the pigs does tell us, okay, that this was if there's a pig farm, Jesus was called into go into the Israelite community. Well, Jews don't need pigs. They're unclean. So this is a Gentile community. And so it could be that this man was one of the first missionaries in that area to the Gentiles. And you think about the freedom that Jesus gave this man. He begged to go with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, hey, just go tell Everybody, you know what has happened. He doesn't get mad, upset with Jesus. He just goes and does what Jesus told him to do. And he brings this freedom. And I think for me and for us who come to church week after week, and we read our Bible day after day, and we know the story, we know what it is, I think we can focus and we can get to the point where we're managing but we got to remember the freedom that Christ has given us. That he's forgiven us of our sins. And I've heard that over and over. Christ has forgiven you of your sins. Christ, and you can get callous to it. But Christ has forgiven of your sins a debt that you could not pay. And he's forgiven you. And now you have this freedom. And what did the man do with the freedom? Did he go and do whatever he wanted to? No, he saw the redemption that only Jesus could give. And there's nobody else in this world that can do it. And he sees that with Jesus. And when you know that Jesus is the only one who can give you your freedom, you realize that Jesus is the only one that you can live for. And so it's just Jesus Jesus is the only one who can give you this redemption. And Jesus, in return, is the only one that you can live for. He doesn't call us to management. He calls us to freedom. I'm just going to have everybody close their eyes. We're going to have a little time of just thinking through. And this is a... We're in a walk with the Lord right? 
been to new, I've been doing this my whole life. Like three years old, I was saved at my parents. How do you even say it as a three-year-old? I don't know. But I've been walking with the Lord day after day after day, and there are some days where I'm really bad at it, and I just do what I want to do. And if I get in that moment, I can start to just manage, and I get comfortable with evil in my life. Is there any evil in your life that you just know that God is saying, hey, you're managing there? And I don't want you to manage it no more. In fact, I just want you to give it to me so I can give you freedom. Would you just pray right now, Lord, forgive me, and Lord, I don't want to manage no more. For others of us, it might just be that we've, we've done this so much that we forget actually what Christ has done for us. And it's not a feeling, it's a choice. We've got we to embrace the fact that there's nobody else in this world who can pay the debt that Jesus did. And so therefore, there's nobody else that we can live for. And so give your life back again. And tomorrow when you wake up, you're going to have to give it back to him again. And when a choice comes up, you're going to have to give it back to him again. And so right now, let's just, all of us, if you're wanting that, just say, Lord, I'm giving you myself again. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, um, that your that your word is truth. And so, God, we, we proclaim that. Uh, Lord, we believe that. Uh, we believe it in faith. Lord, what you, what you say is true. And, Lord, I pray that we would not be managers, God, of the evil in this world, but, Lord, that we uh, would be obedient to you and, God, let you redeem it. And we know, Lord, that through our obedience, that, God, that you will work, that you will change things. And so, God, we just invite you, Lord, to redeem us, Lord. And, God, help us to be looking for ways, Lord, to live this life for you. You're the only one worth it. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You guys are dismissed. Thank you so much.